to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome to the Tenuous Links Golf Barons Podcast, Phil. Masters Week, it's exciting times. Masters Week is always exciting, and we've spent a bit of time building up to this one, Damo, hence the, uh, the little bit of a gap in podcasts, because we had to get our minds right for an enormous Masters Week. How good, how good is the Masters? How good is it to see it back at its proper time of the year, back in April? It's just, there's a bit of normality coming back, which we've got to love. And, they, and this idea of a firm and fast Augusta rather than a, a bomb and gouge Augusta and like all the stuff that we are used to, it's got that complete feel, that traditional feel of, you know, it's around Easter time, it, you know, things are just nice around Masters time. And I particularly like that we're going to have some patrons, Phil, not spectators, as we know, uh, patrons are back, which is it's one of the things that we've seen has been missing from golf is not having that that crowd. So having this major kicking off with with a strong crowd. Now they haven't said they never do. Um, Augusta National never never tell us how many people are actually at the Masters, but there's a few little signs to suggest it's going to be it's going to be pretty sizable. Well, it's funny you say that they never declare it. Based on the number of stories of people you bump into who say, yeah, I was there when Tiger hit that chip on see, uh, 16. I am under the impression that millions and millions go in because they were all there. 32 million a week, I believe. They were all there. Every one of them were there that year that this happened and that happened. Oh, were you there that year too? I thought you've only been once. Yeah, no, I didn't tell you about the other four times I went. Oh, right, yeah. Sure you weren't asleep in Butler's cabin. Absolutely. Now, there is a downside for me this year, Philly, and I'm going to um, talk about it very briefly. The par three contest. It's one of the things I love so much about it. It's not going to happen. It's been abandoned again because of COVID, apparently. A par three is more susceptible to COVID? Apparently. Apparently because they couldn't social distance. For me, the par three contest is one of those things that shows how the Masters is about a lot more than just the um, the tournament itself. You've you've got family involved, yeah. you've got kids involved, you've got like, generations involved, especially when you see the Nicholases and they've got like three or four generations there. It's just such a cool um, a cool thing about golf. I think it's actually, it highlights some of the things we love about golf in general. It is that, that inclusiveness or just that, that community side of the game and, and pure fun, pure joy, like every player's face, there's not a, no one's knuckling down. In fact, most of them are hoping to lose it anyway. So at so least- that, So they can have their chance to win the tournament. Yeah. So the stat won't exist of, you know, he's won the par three contest, will he go on to win? So everyone's now in with a chance to win. It's very exciting. <laughs> it's a nice way to look at it. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later about that because one of our little missions that we will get onto later in our podcast is our we set the task, both for Damo, for you and I, of choosing a top 10 player and pitching why one will or and will not win this week. So stay tuned, listeners. But my thing about the Masters is that every year you discover something new, either by research or just incidentally it comes across your desk or otherwise, that you just go, well, I, you know, I, I just didn't know that. And for mine this year, it was a little bit of grass education and completely stolen. Again, it was the guys at No Laying Up. But talking about how the, the greens are prepared, how the fairways are prepared, the greens being cut in a method called double freaky. 
Um, freaky, freaky. Which is where, which I had to, which again, you hear this and all of a sudden you need to find out what it is, which is where a greens mower goes across and back on the exact same line. And then another greens mower comes 90 degrees across and back. And then they move to the next line across and back and across and back. So they're, they're quad cut greens that are all then pre brushed. So that wow. the blades of, of bent of this A1 or pen A1 bent are standing upright. So there is no grain to speak of. Every putt is pure. That, the fact that every green potentially is a different speed because of the elevation on the, the course. So they, the Augusta never declare the speed of the greens because they'll be running differently depending on where the slopes are because some are a little bit wicked, which I love. The fact that they've all got under green bloody heating and cooling systems so that they can actually ensure optimum growth no matter what happens. The fact that the fairways are oversown with this beautiful rye seed that gives it that nice, rich green colour. Um, I will say, Phil, that this course in agronomy is really paying off for you. <laughs> well, I went on metallurgy and now I've moved on to agronomy. <laughs> and then the last one, which I love, and I really love this, and Kipper failed to mention that at any point in time in our discussions, and that's why he was banned from this podcast, is that they actually mow green to tea so that, any grain that exists in the fairways is helping the ball sit up more so that you get a greater a ball striker's delight. But not only that, when when these players do happen to flub a chip shot that they don't, normally wouldn't flub, maybe we can cut them some slack because there is actually other things at play other than just crapping their decks that 32 million people have turned out on that particular Thursday, all of whom live in Australia to watch them hit a, um, a particular shot. So everything, it's everything about... The week, it's the it's a Mackenzie, it's a it's a Masters, it's the it's a, it's the week, isn't it? And and that's it, things we're seeing that it is getting back to normal, or at least a, a sense of normal. Is this as normal as we're going to see Masters get to, and by extension, sporting arenas in general after the last crazy odd year, eighteen months? Is this as close as we're going to get, or are we going to get back to a full blown Masters week with all the bells and whistles? No, that it all comes back to this this thing we flippantly dismiss some time back and vaccinations and everything else. But, you know, the minute that you can check in, get your master's ticket in the master's ballot, as part of the master's ballot, you've got to provide a vaccination certificate. Mm-hmm. They will get there. It's been a nice reset. Maybe it would be interesting to know what they've set back and said, what can we tweak? This is our opportunity to tweak and refine. What is it? That, that we can do the same way a player, for example, would tweak their golf bag, which we'll touch on in a second about about gear and what gear they're going to use. You know, the fact that Westwood's dropped a wedge out and thrown a five wood in specifically for the Masters to take advantage of conditions, or the fact that Bryson's got a five and a half degree driver, which we'll talk about later on. And yes, he's tweaked it to four and a half degrees for all the boffins who just said, "Oh, it's four and a half." He dialed it down, but but this idea of tweaking and adjusting and preparing when things are at 60% capacity or 50% capacity or going back to November, 10%. So what do you think Augusta may have – like what other things have they – would they have taken advantage to tweak, you know, that thought about and considered and stepped back and said, I wonder I wonder if. Well, considering the talk is that the Greens for one are going to be absolutely flying this way back to – I mean, it's all guesswork, but somewhere around that, you know, 14, 15 on the stint metre, it's really going to play in the hands of putters, I would you would think – um, Phil Mickelson's been calling for this for years. Uh, he's wanted it to be quickened up because he's talked about it being quite a slow, um, one of the slower tracks, uh, more receptive greens than traditionally was back in the day. Uh, so I think that's one of the one of the areas where that's going to be 
markedly different from the last Masters we saw, which was um, obviously, you know, the, the temperature differences and the, the time of year and, and all of that and the softness of the, of the greens and the, and the fairways. But I think we're going to see it be far more receptive to the better putters in the field. Is that a fair assessment? Well, I think that's one of the, the questions. And you look at the, the ones going in and getting back to the gear set up and almost this clubs for courses and this idea of a club degustation. You're right. I think that the putters will be tested because they also don't have the green reading books, which is going to become, I think, a critical uh, issue. And I think caddies are going to have to earn their, their keep. But putters are one thing that I'm not sure that they – is a club that they tweak. So they'll, as I say, they'll talk about Westwood, you know, not having enough shots between 90 and 150 yards to carry that extra wedge. So he adds in a five wood. Uh, Bryson adjusting his driver to try and, you know, overpower. And Bryson's talking about, you know, needing to get it as far down as possible because they will run and give him, quote unquote, shorter wedges into greens. But putters is one thing that, that it's such a touch game. They don't appear to ever tweaks um, or, or, or certainly not that I'm aware of like they don't go from being a heavy to a light putter or not that they make it obvious if they have made that adjustment and a lot of putters on that you can get now do give you that ability to adjust weight either by counterbalancing or otherwise but it's just not discussed yet putting will be the, the key um, to the masters and I know you know has there ever been an opportunity or a time just just touching on this golf thing have you ever changed your gear in advance of playing a particular golf course yeah, I've taken a driver out <laughs> and didn't even have to replace it. I just took it out and threw yeah. it and uh, I played played rounds with just my three wood. No, I actually haven't, Phil. I've thought about this because we've talked about we've talked about this in the past about the horses for courses kind of thing, where you know the bag setup will reflect the course you're playing. I'm, I'm not as I'm not that good with most of them, so so switching them around probably doesn't make that much of a difference. I mean, at the elite level. I guess, you know, they're so fine-tuned that the smallest little changes is an advantage for them one way or another. But the tricky thing for me is how is it – how do you quantify it? How do you quantify that that changing your 55-degree to a 58-degree or 56-degree um, wedge has made the difference in a round or not? You mean for for, for, for us? Well, well, no, I mean – I actually mean for the pros. Well, I think that the best example of that, and I know we've touched on this in about 57 other podcasts, Hogan at Merion, the fact that he played the final round without a 7-iron because he, there just wasn't a 7-iron shot for him. Lee Westwood has just declared, I don't need a wedge that hits me between 90 and 150 yards, so I'm not going to play one in the bag. A 5-wood is more, more versatile. And I was having this conversation with work experience kid the other day about, you know, have you ever thought about playing a 5-wood? And I, I kind of went all golf nerdy on him and proved not only had I thought about it, I then told him where I would potentially use it on the course that I, yeah. on the course that I play. Oh yeah, you know, you'd be able to hit it off two, you could probably hit it off three, second shot into, you know, five and then work your way work your way through in terms of at least thinking about course setup. But the difference between us and them mm. is that we have to go and shell out hard earned. But I mean on that I have I have plotted rounds before in the past where I've gone, right, if I'm, I'm hitting my driver off here, which means it'll take me to here, I'll, I'll need a, you know, I'll be hitting a wedge in from here to there, two parts, blah, blah, blah. And I plotted my way around going, right, this is how I'm going to play this course. And then on the first tee and I blocked it right and, <laughs> yeah. and basically that was the end of that and it threw it out. I'm like, it's actually, it's, it's, not hard, it's not that difficult to plot your way around a course. It's excruciatingly difficult to execute it and then have a plan yeah. B, and the plan B is to get rid of plan A and just hope. 
You just blaze away. And how good would it be? And that's why I, when I, we talk about um, this idea of, of a golf clubs for courses or golf degustation, how good would it be to be able to say, I'm dropping out. I'm dropping out my driving iron this week and I'm going with a five wood because I'm going to use it here, here and here and knowing that it's then going to have that impact. And that's just that's just that level of, of goodness. And I wish we actually had a, a better way, an interview, a one-on-one interview on the range saying, what's your gear tweak for this week? And I know everyone will claim they've had it, you know, and lots of big media – outlets and all the rest of it. I just it's these minor changes, which to me is the passion of the technology of the game. Because many years ago they, you know, Mickelson played two wedges, uh, yeah, two drivers, two drivers yeah. at Augusta because he had one that he could actually hit harder right to left versus his his straighter one, you know, from a, a weight or a bias point of view. Um, yeah. A CG point of view. So I think to me that's one of the other fascinating things about Augusta is is there another course or another major that requires as much course setup Mm. club set up, bag set up, as Augusta does. But all that preparation can then be thrown out the window with some weather changes. That's happened to me before. Again, I've, I've gotten rid of the driver, play, you know, planned it, mapped out the course using the three wood, and then I get there and the wind's in my face on the fan. I'm like, well, well, I've just lost 30 metres off the tee now. Or I've lost, and it just changes the whole concept, whereas – for most of us, for most of us, we can't just walk into uh, the tour van and go, oh, yeah, I'll change that for that, thanks. But Kipper should have told you what the wind was doing the next day. And Kipper tells a, me nothing. It's another example of where caddies just don't deliver. They're all talk. Mm. Like, where's the advice saying, well, based on the barometric pressures, I would suggest that- uh, I do not trust his barometric pressure uh, readings. For- he, has, he has no readings. But from a degustation point of view, is there anything, I mean, is there anything else that we can match up courses and things? There's, uh, there's actually some exciting news around the Augusta National Menu this week. Is there? There's a new sandwich, Phil. A new sandwich. That's the one that Westwood dropped out of his bag. <laughs> no, so at the moment there's, they've got the, um, there's several sandwiches. They've got the, the classic chicken, the Masters Club, egg salad, ham and cheese on rye, turkey and cheese on wheat, and, of course, Kipper's favourite and my, the one that I, Cannot stand to even think about the pimento cheese sandwich. Well, now the patrons will also be able to try. It's being added this week. Augusta National's new chicken salad sandwich, Phil. Oh my! Hang on, wait for it. It's on a brioche bun. So that's that's got to be a step up. Got to love a bit of brioche. What do you call this, doll? Look at this, though. What a year! Patrons are back, starting some new. Well, actually, that's probably not a bad point. If you. If they're going to put a new thing on the menu, it would suggest that they're expecting there to be a few people. Or this is their chance to test ahead of the real new people coming back next year saying, how did the chicken salad go? Yeah, we Gee, probably needed to so do a little cynical. bit more than just add lettuce. Yeah, well, no, it actually, it actually looks half decent for a bun. <laughs> well, one of the things I'm looking forward to this year as well, Phil, is players getting around the field a, a little bit quicker. We've got some patrons there now so hopefully there'll be a little bit more of an incentive to to move along and then there's not you wouldn't expect there to be any heckling i'm tipping these patrons have been hand selected uh a vast majority of them but that said i want to flip to a to an aussie who's who's at the masters this week had a beautiful win recently to get himself there maddie jones is he phil is he the answer to the the faster golf prayers that we've talked about I tell you, he's got to be pretty close. I mean, if he can demonstrate that golf can be played at an elite level without all the fluffing around, and it was it was interesting watching his victory down the stretch when even the commentators were almost joking about 
the fact that, you know, we've got to hurry up and get the cameras on him because we'll have hit it before. Because you're missing, yeah. They get there, but but it's a really controlled method of playing. Uh, it's not speed golf. It's just part of his setup and everything else. The interesting thing will be what happens if a Matt Jones, let's let's say he's playing really well and so many people are coming in with form that, that are a chance, but, but playing really well and then he's paired with a plotter or someone who's a margin meticulous potentially someone who is without green reading books and therefore needs to take a little bit more time in the greens. What impact that has on a mindset? It seems pretty clear that a fast player is adversely affected by a slow player, but a slow player is not affected at all by a fast player. No, because they set the pace, they set the time. And as we've spoken to Kipper about a number of times about pre-shot routines and about reading, particularly around the greens, that's when things slow right down. I mean, I think that the good news for anyone playing with Bryson is that he should have done most of his yardages by the time they get to his ball. And I think he, he probably does start to get prepared. So he's not that he's not that bad. But the Greens are going to be the challenge. So it'll be interesting to see if any um, speed of play issues are reported this week because the Greens will be the Greens that we love to see. It kind of annoys me now. We're hearing all these people coming out going, oh, Matt Jones, is, he's, is he showing us now how we should be playing and and that's the speed that players need to He's been doing this for forever and it's been out there and it's not been highlighted. I remember a tour, there was a, an anonymous, like a PGA Tour player, was it a poll? I think it was a poll that was taken by, it might have even been Golf.com, Sports Illustrated, one of those. And it was asking who were the fastest and slowest players among a lot of other things. And Matt Every was up there, but Matt Jones, Matt Every and Matt Jones were. Everyone was saying that these guys are the quickest players on getting around, getting through their shots. Obviously, you've got quick players like your Snedekers and these guys. Well, why are we not focusing more on that? And only when they win something or they do something um, spectacular that we say, "Oh, this person's now." It's it's like the whole overnight success commentary you get. People toil for ten years and then they make it big, and then someone turns around and says, "Oh, they're an overnight success." It's like. Piss off. They're working their bums off. Piss off. It's a bit aggressive. I think the reality is, is that Matt Jones is just quick hitting, but we don't have any idea of whether he's quick walking or whether his gate's fast. So in reality, he's picking up three seconds of swing, but it's all the lining up. I mean, if you look at it, let's just apply this back to the golf that we see every day. It's getting sitting over a one-foot putt and plumb bobbing it. You know, when you're aiming to get to 34 points in your Stablefoot comp at your club, you might be playing, for example, down at the National and, you know, the, there might be a, a group just in front who are six holes behind the group in front because they're lining up one-foot putts all day and may or may not be described as the slowest group of all time. But, you know, each to their own. Maybe we need to bring in an eight-second challenge, film. Shot clock. That sounds <laughs> some some genius. But but getting back to that putting, and you're right about Matt Jones and Matt Every and these guys, and, and it's just about getting a tempo right. But is, is strokes gained putting the most overrated mm. stat on the market available? And the reason that I ask this, and I've got some exciting stats to back up my assumption. When I hear you and stats, I immediately get excited, Phil. So let, let's deal with the top 10 in the FedEx Cup race at the moment. And we'll deal with strokes gained putting. So in no particular order, well, in actually in a very particular order, from one through ten, from one through ten, <laughs> which is the anti no particular order touch. Almost chronological. Thirty uh, eight, fifty four, fiftieth, ninetieth, ninth, which is Xander Schauffele, one hundred and forty eighth. Dustin Johnson mm. is one hundred and forty eighth in stro- strokes gained putting. 
Now let's deal with the stats. So, so therefore, putting, you know, for the amount of time that they take on the greens with green reading books and all the other things, my assertion remains is that putting greens are better than ever, but there is no evidence, unless people present me evidence, that suggests that people are putting better, less putts for people in greens in regulation. But then we talk about strokes gained approach, okay, the key stat, and this will be a really important stat for everyone to listen out to later on. Strokes gained approach. Bryson, 15th. Justin Thomas in second spot, third. 49, Cantley DJ, 11. For now, 12. So strokes gained approach then becomes the standout. I mean, even Spieth is 23rd. Schaffer is 26. So it just says you've got to hit it into good spots. But don't worry about your strokes going so much putting on the field. That that has to be a, a, a given that you're going to be able to putt okay or pretty well. But hit it closer, and then yeah, proximity to the hole has to be has to be more of a um, determining factor. And in fact, at, at Augusta National over the years, that's actually been the one you need to worry about. It's it's the approach, the percentage with GIR. So greens in reg is a far more important stat in, in that respect. Which I'll attempt to argue. Oh, sorry, have I stolen your thunder, Phil? No, a little bit. No, no, not at all. Because I'm just trying to. It'll probably hint at the confusion that'll come up. Uh, when we start talking about these players and why they can and can't win of how we just apply stats as we need it. But I'll tell you another thing that I love about Augusta this week before we get into the the really nitty-gritty of why we're here. The fact that in November, Lee Elder was announced as an honorary starter for Augusta this year. And and Lee Elder, first African-American player to play the Masters uh, trailblazer with Charlie Sifford and Jim Thorpe, paved the way for Calvin Pete. And in fact, Lee Elder... And Charlie Sifford were thanked by by Tiger in his very first yeah. speech when he first won the Masters in Butler Cabin, mm-hmm. and Jim Nance, the Ted Danson lookalike, not, um, not even close. Spoke yet. about no, I know you don't like that call, but but he spoke about the, these trailblazers and what it, how important it was for him, and how he said a prayer coming up eighteen to thank these these legends that that helped open the game and make it more inclusive, despite all the threats and death threats mm-hmm. and everything else they had. But for him to then be the honorary starter of an event that Tiger's going to miss due to his injury, there's there's actually a really nice synergy there. So mm. not that it was preemptive. I think it's a fantastic appointment as an honorary starter for Lee Elder. And yeah, it's magic. I think it'll just it just adds a little bit more to the the magic. And Augusta, they might be shifting slowly, but they're shifting, which I think is good. Um, unlike some other challenges going on in Georgia that have led to Major League Baseball. You know, withdrawing the All Star Game because of all the voting things and and um, or new voting laws, but the fact that Augusta is continuing to to shift, the fact they've got two scholarships named in Elders Honor at Payne College, you know, the fact that Augusta are funding a, a girls golf team for the first time so someone can be a recipient. There's no question. There's a really positive movement and and feeling of change in Augusta. And again, I like I like the fact that they are shifting and not trying to change the world like in an instant. But it's just this incremental change as opposed to needing to flip the world on its head. We, we like incremental changes in products and in pretty much life in general, Phil. We do. And the thing about incremental changes, should, and that's just another lovely segue, does the excitement ever die down of an incremental change in your golf bag? Can I just get this off my chest? Do, do you ever lose the excitement of unwrapping something new and giving it a rip for the first time? Oh, it's just new products, Phil. I don't know what it is. We're very simple beings, but I love you. Yeah, I'm with you, 100%. And, and the fact that they this honeymoon period 
clearly exists mm. when you hear, oh, shit, oh, I hit that, I hit that good. And it was the club. It was the club. It was the club. And it's the only time when you start mishitting them that you blame yourself is when the club's brand new. When it's you new, give yeah. the club a month and, it, oh, this, this club's a bloody disaster. But for the first <laughs> couple of times, and quite specifically, I was, I was lucky enough, thanks to John from Chicago, of getting my hands on the Tourage Exotics, the C721 driver. I'm looking forward to having it in my bag shortly, Phil. Yeah, um, which is getting reasonable reviews, but that's not the point right now. The other point that is not the point right now is the fact that, as John said, the shaft has been hit by two other flushes, uh, Bernard and him, uh, and now by me. It came with all this – it was it was wrapped in excitement and a halo of goodness. The fact that I'm not strong enough to get anything out of it is my fault completely, yet it doesn't – die down that excitement of unwrapping things. While you're on the new gear stuff, does it ever stop? New gear, it rolls out and rolls out and the new idea, I mean, I saw today, I got an email, came through about a um, a new wedge release with movable weights within the wedge to adjust, I don't even know what the hell I was complaining. Are we over-engineering the game? Are we over-complicating simple things? Is training not enough, Phil? Just train with what you've got. Why do we have to find tiny little things here and there over and over again that none of us can quantify in our games? Because of that very fact, because it's this pursuit of perfection that golf gives you that other sports don't, and the fact that we can. But I'll tell you something, the flip side of that, so yes, there's there's everyone's trying to achieve certain things and have the ultimate inflexibility. Like we want to give you everything, but we want it to be just yours. Be the best version of you, Wedge. But the, the flip side, I've used the last couple of rounds for the first time in a long time, my Cleveland Classic, or Cleveland designed by Ben Crenshaw Putter. Oh, you're, you've put it back now, have you? Uh, it's now out, but I put it back for two rounds. Hang on, it's, it's out, it's now how's out. it out of the bag? Oh, it's, okay. out of the, oh. it's, out of the, it's out of the bag out of respect for it. Mm. But the number of people who have picked it up and just said, wow, what's that? How old's that? Wow, I love how simple that is. You just can't buy them like that anymore. To your point, companies are going out of their way to grind edges and put points and move a weight and everything and all these other developments. But there's a good chunk of the market saying, as as proven when an MP20 blade comes out or a blueprint blade comes out, give me simple, give me straightforward and give me the game that I knew because not all of us are players that are new to the game. Some of us, the core, the ones that actually make this game survive, are the ones that have been in it for a little mm-hmm. while. So, and everyone's got that degree of give me what something that I was used to. But, but put a blade in someone's hand who's been playing golf for a little while. Oh, gee, that's pure just with its simplicity. Mm-hmm. This putter, oh, it's so pure just with its simplicity. But the great thing about golf is there's room and clear room for both. There's room for technical advancements because some of us just love technology and we'll try and do everything we can and we'll buy it. We purchase game changers. Others will just say, I remember using that in 1964. I'm going to use that again. Okay, Phil, enough of all of this. Let's move into the real reason we're here and it is to pump up the chances of one player and to sadly destroy another's. And uh, we were set a task. We had to pick one of so out of the um, out of the favourites leading into the into the Masters, we had to pick one player who we said can or will win, and one who can't or won't win. So the two players I have are uh, Jordan Spieth and John Rahm, Philly. Now Ooh. I know now I know you think I'm just going to say Jordan Spieth is the one who can win, and John Rahm's the one who can't win. I do, and you would be correct. <laughs> Spieth, my boy, you you've seen me over the last little while, up and about. I've, I've called that he was gonna he was gonna win again. Kipper laughed at me. 
and now he's now he's just had a he's had a win at Valero Texas Open. Here's why he can win, Phil. So I'll, I'll do my I'll do my Jordan can win, and then you do yours. I'm going to kick it off. It's a small field for one, 100 max in the Masters field. Being, being an invitational, you've got a whole heap of people who are past winners, past champions, who, to be fair, are probably not. Not even probably not. They're not. There's not a great chance of them winning. So the field is even smaller than it looks on paper. The spectators, the patrons are back and on site, although possibly in that smaller capacity. But he, other than Tiger Woods, who's obviously a favourite son of Augusta, I think Spieth's a close second. They love him there. The youngest winner to ever win a green jacket. They love him there. So he's got. He'll have the crowd on side. Form is temporary. Class is permanent. But form and class combined, Phil, makes a really strong case. And he's he's in form, as we know, having won one last week. And it's a win that's punctuated two months of really, really strong form where he's been knocking on the door several times. So obviously he's gotten over uh, you know, some of the demons that he's had. 17 winners at, at the Masters have been multiple major wins, of the Masters, that is. So I think he's due to become another one. It happens, it happens there more than anywhere else. And I think it's... That pays tribute to the fact that it's a course that once you know how to play it, you can continually sort of knock on the door. I mean, look at a Freddie Couples at his age. He still produces every year one of the lowest rounds of the week because he just knows how to play the Masters. And once you know how to play Augusta, once you know how to play Augusta, that sticks with you. Uh, he's been the runner up there twice. He clearly loves the layout and um, the nature of the course. He's supremely comfortable there, Phil. The quicker greens this year, slicker greens, you know, than they were a decade or so, or so ago. That's going to suit the better putters. And, and Spieth, he's um, currently number, number what is he, number five in one putts on the PGA Tour. But I don't even care about that. We all know Spieth is one of the best putters on the tour. And when he gets going, he's, he's a freak. The average age, Phil, this is a really crucial one I want to get to you. Average age of Masters winners is 32. Now, Spieth's 27, but he's always been five years ahead of his contemporaries, Phil. So by my maths, that makes him pretty much 32. Bang! Green jacket. And finally, my final point why he's going to win, it's a cryptocurrency positive year, and I've already labelled him the Bitcoin of golf, so he has to do well, yes. Uh, we, one thing we didn't determine, are we allowed to challenge any of these uh, assertions, or is it just a statement and done? Uh, wherever you want, go on, challenge. Challenge away. I'll make something up. Spieth is a very good putter, uh, currently ranked 106th in total putting. <laughs> not worried, as I said, not worried about the rankings. Uh, no, that was all I had. Would you consider Spieth not a good putter, Phil? I would consider Spieth a streaky putter, but he, from downtown, he's the best. He clearly holds more 1,000-foot putts than anyone else on tour. And there's a lot of places at Augusta where you can putt from 1,000 feet. Anyway, that's mine. I actually think he is a better chance than people think. Depending on whether they think he's a good chance. That's also a very good point. Over to you, Phil. Who's, who have you picked? Well, my two, and again, given that we're going to go with the, the winner first. So here, here we go. I'm just trying to consider how best to explain this. So my two are Rory and Bryson. Right. Oh, you're not. Oh, you haven't. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you who's not going to win and why. So I'm going to start with the negative as opposed to you and your positivity. This person is not going to win because of the hype, and they're not going to win because of expectation. I can't believe – no, sorry. I can't believe you're going to say Rory can win. Anyway, go on. They're they're tea time reliant. He's got an issue with spin management. Going back to the 2020 Masters, 
So in the 2020 Masters, Bryson was spinning, landing the ball into perfect spots and spinning it back. And so now he's gun shy. He doesn't know what's going on. So the ball's flying into the green. Is it going to spin? Is it not going to spin? Who can I complain to? Who can I whinge to? He's no good in the last rounds, Bryson. I've got potentially some stats here. His last round average at Augusta, 71 and a half. You You can't shoot par in the last round. And win a Masters. Where was that? The last Masters, did you say? Uh, over the last, his average over oh, the, average, the five sorry. that he's played. Or four, or five. Uh, he's tea time reliant. I've got some stats to back up some things, but some <laughs> other things not. He's heavily tea time reliant. So he needs to get lucky with the weather on the first two days because if he gets unlucky, he's out on his ear. And he's got an unlucky draw this year. I'll take your word for it. I can't tell you what time he's, yeah, I can't I tell you what time he's hitting off. It's just, it's just it's unlucky. It's the sake of argument, huh? He's two plane swing. Now I've been listening to Kipper a lot. So he's always he's one plane, one plane, one plane, one plane. And his quest to gain length, which by the way, I think is absolutely awesome and full credit to him. And you know that I love what he's tried to do. Because deep down this is hurting me, declaring Bryson that he can't win. His two plane swing, where he drops it way inside. Only two things are going to happen when under pressure, a massive block or a snap hook. You can't afford to be snapping at hook, snap hooking it around Augusta, particularly on the back nine. So under pressure, when the snaps start, world of hurt. I've got stats to back this up. He misses fairways left more than he misses fairways right. And at Augusta, where you've got Ray's Creek and everything else operating left, you don't want to be left. So there's a real concern for Bryson at 486 yards off the tee. Strokes gained putting, he's 37th. And as we know, that means nothing. <laughs> His strokes gained approach he appears to be a little bit better, but that's when his spin management is working and that won't work. This week, so that's an excellent point. So, what's he ranked at there, Phil? He's he's 15th, which is not as good as Justin Thomas, who is not one of my players that I've chosen. Uh, But around the greens, his strokes gained around the greens, he's 43rd. And and this is going to lead to another point. So, you need to have your chipping game on song at Augusta for when you miss, because you are going to miss greens. That just, unless you're Cam Smith, you're going to miss greens. But from what's worse than that, is that his sand save percentage is terrible. So when he hits them in the green in the greenside traps, he can't get up and down. And you need no no, I don't have stats to back that up, but you need to be good out of the bunkers. Are there any bunkers at Augusta? <laughs> there's bunkers, there's there's bunkers. He's 133rd in driving accuracy. Now his argument again will be faster, right. firmer, thinner rough. Not thicker. Even even Kipper's shaking his head at you now because yeah. accuracy yeah, of the drive doesn't okay. matter. It's yeah. all about distance. It's okay, I'm, I'm, but I've got a point to be made here. So his his argument is that thinner rough, the ball runs through further. It's an even greater advantage for him. Pine straw very difficult to manage spin out of pine straw, and when he's blocking them, particularly to the pine straw on the right, say of, of 15, 13, unless he flies all the trees. He's going to have some real challenges hitting into the greens with his wedges. At the, this point in time, I think his odds are plummeting, not not going out. I mean, they're coming in. So pine straw accuracy. He's putting, putts per round in round four. He's 100th. So when under the pump at Augusta coming down the stretch and he needs to keep holding these five-footers that he's left himself due to his poor bunker plate, they're lipping out. Adam Scott's the only one who lips in around Augusta. Lipping out. Devastating. The heat. I don't know why I said that, but it was just a note that I had there. And he doesn't, and he doesn't get, in any way, shape, or form, he doesn't get McKenzie courses. So Alistair McKenzie courses have a very, you've got a very special a look, a feel, a sense. You've got to know what he was thinking 
around every corner. Did, did Mike Cocking tell you that or did he no, tell you No, the no, no, I'm making this up. But as was proven during the President's Cup when Tiger let him rest for a fair chunk of it, Mackenzie requires a, a real art, a deft touch, but a creativity that is Seve-esque, not one that is the Incredible Hulk-esque, despite the fact that Bryson's really awesome and I, I rate him quite highly. So all those factors combined with the fact that he might win a reason that he can't win and the main one being that McKenzie, people have to love McKenzie and play it well or not love McKenzie and play it poorly and he doesn't play McKenzie courses well, although I've got no evidence. Okay, so you've put a line through Bryson. I'm going to let you just keep rolling on here with the one that you think can win, and you've already told us who it is, and if you're still with us, I, sit tight. I love – now, there are some really bad stats coming up here. This is why Rory will win. Lack of hype. Lack of no height. One, lack of hype and height. But he's short and no one's talking about it. Despite the fact he's one, still one of the favourites in the top ten, everyone's a bit over Rory because he's in the wilderness. Lack of expectation. This is the anti – he's the anti-Bryson. Now, birdie – he's a birdie beast. Rory is a birdie beast. Sixth most birdies on tour. Beast. Sand saves, 27th. So when Rory, by chance – despite being a pure ball striker on these fairways that are mowed green to tee, allowing the ball to sit up a ball striker's delight, despite being an awesome ball striker, if he happens to miss a green, it's basically a gimme that he's going to get up and down. His sand saves, I'd hate to be playing with him because I'd be paying out dollar coins all over the joint with his sand saves. The majority of the time Rory misses a fairway, it's in the right rough, not the left. Now, the naysayers will say, but that makes all the par fives longer other than two, which actually puts him in a really tight position. I would argue that it gives him an opportunity to lay up and then hit really great wedges so the Eagles might go out. He's definitely renowned or well-known for laying up, Phil. So, yes, exactly. So whilst the Eagles might come out of his card, the birdies are going to come on in and he is a birdie beast. This is really good. He puts better on bent greens. He puts better on bent, and the the greens at Augusta being the pen A one bent. These this is he just traditionally puts better on bent. Bryson, is there anything to back that up? Yeah, other than your gut um, feel. No, no, the fact that he's had five top tens in the last six years at Augusta. He loves the course and putting on bent greens, particularly when the bent a pen A one, which they happen to be at Augusta. He loves Mackenzie courses. He does. <laughs> He, he told me. He, does. he loves McKenzie courses, despite I don't think having been down to play in Australia at Royal Melbourne, although he may have. Uh, loves McKenzie courses. He acknowledged his deficiencies, and I think this is a really important one, is that he sat up a few weeks ago and just said, I made a mistake, I was doing this, and now I just institute plan A, which was plan B, but is now plan A again, and just go back being a flusher. I mean, he's going to win this by six. The, my, crowning, my, crown, my crowning argument as to why Rory will win despite him not being my tip, why Rory will win this year's Masters, is that you hate him and that's enough motivation to stick <laughs> it up to you, is him winning. And I've already hates, texted him. And hates, hates a bit strong. No, no, you dislike him immensely. It's borderline hate. And he will. you can expect a tweet from Rory when he's putting on the green jacket for the first time and wait till you see his dinner that he chooses next year. All the reasons that Rory will win, despite not being my selection. Now, more interestingly, 
you suggested that, and far more interestingly, <laughs> hopefully, you suggested that John Rahm cannot win this year's Masters. So days, only a few days ago, um, John Rahm was actually, I was tossing up between him and another to put my money on. But uh, his wife, his wife uh, just had their first baby, so he's done. <laughs> please, please tell me you've got more than that. <laughs> with, with his wife, uh, Kelly, the 26-year-old, welcomed his little boy. Um, actually, he's a big boy. Keeper. Keeper or Kepper, Phil? Kepper Cahill. It's not Kepper. Um, no. no. <laughs> so congratulations to the Rams and commiserations to John for not winning a green jacket this year. Look, I get the whole beware of the injured golfer, Phil. Yes, that's a thing. But beware the sleep-deprived golfer. No. As someone who hasn't slept for 11 years, I'm telling you right now, he is zero chance of winning this week. One week of sleep deprivation is hard enough for most people, let alone someone who has um, you know, a world-class athlete with a regiment-obsessed routine. It, it, this, this is a complete game-changer for him. The regiment-obsessed, hang on, the regiment-obsessed routine sounded like a little bit of puffery that I might have used. Have you got anything to back up the fact that he is one of the most regimented golfers uh, playing this week? I do, and I'll supply that in the links below. <laughs> Look, seriously, though, his first child, he, they don't know what, you know what it's like. You don't know what hits you. That first week is unbelievably difficult. I don't care how many people are trying to rally around him and, and, shelter, you know, and shelter him from the fatherly duties, which I don't think for a second he wouldn't be involved with. I mean, he did say, uh, I've got a quote here from him, I've said it before, if I had to leave any event, I'll leave. Being a father is much more important than any golf event would ever be. So the fact that he's a good father, which I, which I obviously respect, is going to cost him a grey jacket. So unless he rapidly finds a ResMed endorsement, Phil, he's a good chance he nods off around Amen Corner. Can you just say ResMed again so I can throw in the cha-ching? Put a line through him. Is that all you – hang on, sorry, I just need to – so people, we've made people wait well, for your well, crowning I, I, I prefer to say we've given them opportunity to leave. <laughs> well, the reason that John Rahm will not win this week is because he's a new father. He'll have no sleep, Phil. That's fundamentally the point. The key stat historically around the Masters is greens in regulation, hitting greens in reg. That's been shown over a, a long period of time. I mean, and w- what's Ram? He's uh, he's currently sixth on tour in that stat. <laughs> he's, <laughs> Baby boy makes it moot. It would appear that he's 14th in strokes going to approach on the tour year to date that we both have agreed is the most, other than for Rory and Bryson, because Rory's 80th, is the most- Pre or, pre or post uh, birth, Phil, just checking that stat. So one of the things about parenthood is the team effort that is required shooter. And I can assure you that Rambo's lady friend- His wife, Kelly, come on, a bit of respect, Philip. His wife, Kelly, is ensuring that he sleeps well because he too wants to name- Kiefer Kipper, Kiefer Kipper. He wants to give him another her and him another name. I haven't done my research on Ram, uh, relating to Augusta. So the adrenaline from becoming a new father that takes over the sleep deprivation, because as you know, it happens in week three. The sleep deprivation. It's not a. It's not a first no, it two weeks. Pretty early. It happens earlier than that. Phil. Give me some numbers on new fathers not winning versus numbers on new fathers winning at Augusta. New fathers are eighty three percent less likely to win a golf tournament. Okay, so he's still a one in five chance based on those numbers alone, and that's pretty good. I, I think that's some of the worst arguing. 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 Some of yeah, the worst cool. English Thanks, <laughs> Well, you know, he wasn't here to 
defend himself. As, as much as much as I'm, that sounds tongue in cheek. I genuinely think that kind of leading is just going to he's going to be too tired to really focus in a game that is more mental than any other, where your focus needs to be absolutely razor sharp around a course that requires it on every single shot. Like I think he's, his game is built to win a Masters, which is why, you, you know, you think this is odd that I've chosen him to be the one that can't win. But I'm telling you, he will not win. That's all we asked as part of this. So can I then ask you, who's going to win? I actually think Justin Tongs. <laughs> yeah, so I've got some good stats. It's funny you say that to back up the fact that I think Justin Thomas too. I used to say. So we just wasted like thirty-five minutes of everyone's time. So I've got so Justin Thomas. I've got Justin Thomas and Patrick Reed, and I know I always put Reed in because Patrick Reed just plays Augusta beautifully, um, and Louis again will finish top ten. But JT in great form has shown that he's got a greater ability than ever to work the ball as required. Uh, and particularly right to left, as was seen in the his final tee shot during the players. The roping five-wood hook, 395 yards around the lake that stayed in bounds somehow with Westy putting him in, under pressure. He still has solid putting stats. His total putting is he's 25th on tour. He's fifth in strokes gained total. He's third in strokes gained approached. He's coming in full of confidence. He likes Alistair McKenzie courses. Of course he does, Phil as again was evidenced at Royal Melbourne, and one of the best things that ever happened to JT was being able to latch onto Tiger's yeah. coattails around Royal and have Tiger educate him, and he actually spoke about it, have Tiger educate him on, one, why Tiger loves Royal Melbourne so much, but secondly, the nuances of, of Royal and in, in essence and, and by inference, the nuances of McKenzie designs. So JT is seeing things now that the others just aren't quite seeing because he had that close relationship with... With Tiger. And a win there also gives him back the world number one ranking. So um, he's got a lot to play for, a lot to play for. Um, and he's, yeah, I agree with you, actually. <laughs> After all of that, I agree. JT is the one I'd be putting my money on. Give me an outsider. Ooh, how outside do you want? A big outsider, Max Homer. Yeah, you do like Max. You do like it. There's just something. There's something about his um, his win earlier at, uh, where was it? Was it Riviera? No, where was it, Phil? Yeah, red at Riviera. Yep. It was Riviera. And I think there's actually, I think there's, I read somewhere that there was a um, correlation between winners there and the, an inordinate amount of winners of that tournament winning the Masters. I could be wrong on that, but there's just something about his game. But he's, he's a, that's a massive outsider. So what's he, he's probably paying over 100. So what about you, Philly? Have you got, have you got someone right out of the box that you think might win? Not right. Not right, right out of the box. Mark Leishman. I'm going to go with an Australian who, again, loves Mackenzie courses. Well, he's done well at the Masters in the past. He's grown like up so. on them, loves the Masters, loves cheering on other people when they win, and I think it's probably his turn to get cheered on. I'd love to see Leishman win. That would absolutely make the week. I'm just seeing if there's anyone else that I, that I <laughs> want to write. But, yeah, I think that Leishman, there is just you've got to have an affinity for the type of the design. This is not something that you can just blaze away, and that's why you see so many people who play well at Augusta continue to play well at Augusta. Well, it's why Sergio hated it forever until he won it. Um, he that's said he right. couldn't yeah. stand the design. He didn't like. He didn't think it was a good call. It was all these well, derogatory comments. Eye, I think it, it Yeah, didn't. it didn't suit his eye, yes. Yeah. And, then he, and then he wins, and, oh, it's the greatest ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the old German Spaniards. Um, <laughs> but, but I think ultimately it's it's – 
that's who it's going to come down. I think it's going to come down to JT Reed. I think DJ will be a struggle. I, DJ's. Do you think he'll struggle? I think he'll. Yeah. Be, I think he'll be very close. I think he'll struggle. I really don't think that Bryson. I think Rory will finish ahead of Bryson because I think there's just too much hype, and I think Rory is planned everything about it. But I think JT and Reed win it. I think Shafofli competes for the first day and a half. We can go through all the players, but that's yeah. That is our assistant. fundamentally. It's all. To, it's all ahead of us, and it's exciting as it is every single year. And on that note, Philly, let's end our Masters Preview podcast. Sign up at golfbounds.com to stay in the loop of all that's happening in the Golf Bounds stable, including the impending release of Season 2. You are going to love it, potentially. Enjoy your Masters week, Barons, and remember to add some swagger to your swing.